0: Morning, everyone, Uh, my name is Stuart If we haven't met before, I'm the lead pastor here at New Life and it is great to have you with us, Uh, great to praise God's name and to pray and we're going to spend some time now turning our attention to uh, His Word. If you've got that um, that passage, it'd be really helpful to have uh, John 3 open. Uh, If you've been with us uh, recently, we've been working through in the last term uh, a survey of the Old Testament and it's taken us quite a long time to get through the whole of the Old Testament, big overview. And tonight we're off the series, so we're not doing that. Um, I've called the talk tonight Nothing to Get Too Worked Up About. Uh, we're going to be talking about the message that we brought to the kids on Friday. And uh, as you can see, we got a little bit worked up about it, right? Okay, we're, we're pretty crazy. And uh, we got a bit worked up about it. And I guess I want to think why would you go to that effort, particularly talking to kids? Uh, and what is that message for us? as youth and adults and kids here. So I want to, I want to think about that tonight. I'm going to pray. Um, Annabelle's helpfully reminded us uh, that there is a Q&A time at the end. So as I speak, if you're reminded of things that you want to ask about, maybe you can write on the back of your Care and Connect card so you don't forget the questions. And then when we get to the end, uh, you can ask away. Or maybe you've just got a really good memory. You'll be fine anyway. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you, the God of the universe, are here tonight. We thank you, Father, that as the author of this scripture that we've just heard, that you are able to apply it to our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that you would unblock ears, open spiritual eyes, and soften our hearts, Father, so that we might be able to respond in the right way to your message. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start tonight uh, by asking you a question. Have you heard this, this turn of phrase, everything in moderation? You heard that before? Everything in moderation. Now, a quick show of hands, interactive for tonight. Uh, does anyone eat uh, French fries in moderation? Okay, hands down. Anyone uh, eat them without very much moderation at all? Okay, right, very good. Okay, it's a, it's a funny world that we live in, right? Um, everything in moderation, uh, this is Oscar Wilde's quote, including moderation. That's quite funny, actually, if you think about it. But okay, good. We'll just let that one go through. Um, Everything in moderation, including moderation, was his line. But it's a really strange world that we live in. Because we say that we want moderation. And uh, we think that particularly, I guess, uh, when it comes to uh, Christianity. It's it's a really intriguing thing that we have in front of us. Uh, Christianity, we kind of figure, as long as you're not too into it, it's okay, right? I'm okay that you're a Christian. It's fine. You can believe whatever you want, as long as you're not really into it, you know? But, but it's so funny. We, we go with this moderation line, and, and yet in all sorts of other areas of our life, we don't. You know, How do you watch Netflix? What's, what's the word that we use to describe how we watch? Sorry, yes, Janet. We binge Netflix, don't we, right? So you can't just watch a little bit of Netflix. Netflix in moderation is not really watching Netflix, is that right? So we have to binge it. It's extraordinary. If I was to say to you, credit card debt, you'd all go, oh no, sure, just a little bit in moderation. Is that right? It, it blows out all over the place, doesn't it? What about diets? A little bit of moderation. Well, actually, we do them in very little moderation at all. Um, or, or what about those round chocolate things? I, I can't remember what they're called. They, they come in boxes. What, wow. Maltesers, right. Can you have Maltesers, right, in moderation? They come in a box, if you haven't had the box, you should, no, don't try it. But, but here's the thing, we can't enjoy them in moderation, right? But when, we say, when it comes to Christianity, what we say is, okay, but only in moderation. And let me give you an example, right? Some people say, like, I'm a non-practicing Catholic, okay? I don't know if you've heard this turn of phrase, right? It's a bit like saying you're a non-practicing gym member. Are you with me? It's an utterly useless thing to say. All it means is you're giving money and getting no benefit. That's, that's what I would observe is going on. But, but saying you're a non-practicing gym member just doesn't follow. And so it shouldn't follow that we could, we're could able to say, I'm a non-practicing Catholic. I didn't put up, I'm a non-practicing co- Protestant, because we don't say that, right? But it would apply to us as well. But if you say that, the world would say, Tick, fantastic. Oh, you're a non-practicing, that's great. That's the tick of approval, right? But, but if you said, right... If you said, oh, she goes every single week, right, the world would say zealot, weirdo, unless we're talking about the karate class that you go to, in which case, high praise for your dedication and devotion. Isn't this extraordinary, right? If, if you have a non-practicing gym membership, you're a slacker, right? If you're there every week at karate, you're devoted But if you're a non-practicing Christian, you're exalted. And if you're there every week, you're to be excluded as a weirdo. That's the sort of confusing things that our world says to us as Christians. And so I want to think today, what's the right approach to Christianity? What's the right approach to Christianity? And we're going to explore that tonight by having a look at three biblical ideas. First one is salvation. The second one is hell. And the third one is new life. Salvation, hell, and new life. This is the reason I said there might be some questions later on, but bear with me. We're going to be okay. So uh, we're going to look at. Start looking at salvation now. Uh, I went to look at the dictionary. Have you guys heard of a dictionary? Do you know that it used to come in books? Okay, I Googled this, so don't worry. I'm, I'm with you guys, right? But I, I went. I went online. And I said, "Well, what's what's salvation mean?" Right? And it says here uh, a way of being saved from danger, loss, or harm. No problems. But it says underneath it, here's the second, the second definition. In the Christian religion, salvation of a person or their spirit is the state of being saved from evil and its effects by the death of Jesus on a cross. Now guys, that's pretty spectacular actually, isn't it? In a, in a secular dictionary, it actually has something that I would actually be proud of you guys for saying about salvation if somebody asked. That's pretty good. Available online go check it out later on but okay so salvation we're going to talk about salvation but we know what salvation is don't we somebody please acknowledge yes the 79th minute tedesco goes over in the corner and queensland's queensland it was pretty good yes and what was our response to this salvation oh right not very interested in that no you yeah you kind and i think it's intriguing that when it comes to this sort of salvation, we can get out of our seats, we can vocalise in our homes at the TV where they can't hear us, but when it comes to eternal salvation, when it comes to eternal salvation, we can't find a pulse. It's intriguing, isn't it? Do I really need salvation in my very ordinary life? Do you know how ordinary my life is, is what you're thinking as you look at me. Do you know how ordinary... Why, why would I need to be saved? What, in fact, do I need to be saved from? Well, I've listened to these words uh, that were part of the memory verse that we had for the kids right here on Friday. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and uh, he's talking about the message that he had proclaimed. He says this, but what does it say, verse 8? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith which we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, this is the actions, that God (laughs) raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what we taught the kids. And what Paul spent his life doing was traveling around the Mediterranean telling pagans that they needed to be saved. That they needed to be saved. Now, it's intriguing. And it caused, uh, it caused people to ask questions. We're going to go to our John 3 reading, and we're going to have a look at somebody who had some questions. Uh, we're in John chapter 3, I think it was page 10, oh, uh, 1065, sorry. Uh, John chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. We're going to see someone who had some questions about this message of salvation. Now, there was a Pharisee, that's a, a, a religious teacher. There was a religious teacher, or at least a religious observer, A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. It's really intriguing, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now, did you notice when he came to Jesus? It says he came at night. Why do you think someone who was part of the Jewish ruling party, so the people who were basically in the parliament, the the rulers of the time, why would he come to Jesus at night? Has anyone got an idea? Sorry? He was busy during the day. It's at least possible, isn't it, Peter? Well, has someone got another suggestion. Why would he come at night? So no one sees him. He's doing it undercover, right? He's going to come to this rabbi, this, this revolutionary teacher, and he's going to come at night because he doesn't want his friends to know that he's doing it. So, but the reason that he comes, despite his concern, he brings his interest and his ignorance. He's just, he just got to find out. Something is happening here. We can see in your life, Jesus, something is, God's at work. So what's going on? And then Jesus says to him, well, I'm a little bit surprised, but I'm going to tell you what you need to know is that you must be born again. Have you heard people talk about born-again Christians? Yeah? It it comes from here. Whatever it's become, it comes from here. You must be born again. And Nicodemus asked the obvious question, doesn't he? Uh, Jesus, it's a little bit difficult as a man to go back and be born... Like, it'll be awkward physically. It's not really possible. So how can I be born again? And Jesus says, thank you, Nicodemus. You're saving everybody from asking an awkward question. I'm not talking about physically. He says, I'm talking about spiritually. You must be born of water and the Spirit. You must be born a second time. But why do we need to be born again? Well, let me suggest to you three reasons that Jesus tells us that we need to be born again. The first one is that, as we see in Romans 3.23, all sin. In Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that all sounds very Bible language. So what I've got there is a picture that I hope will help us. Can you see the flag? The pirate flag. Now, because we're a little bit weird, right, we think, woo, pirate flag. Right? What we should be thinking is, boo, pirate flag. Because what the pirates are doing is they're saying, we don't want the legitimate king. We are going to be outside the law and we are going to rob and pillage and take a selfish stance in the world. The pirate flag is a flag of rebellion against the rightful king. And what you and I have done is we have raised the pirate flag in our hearts. We've said, God, back off. I've got this. I don't need you in my life. All have sinned, some of us in spectacular ways and some of us in profoundly ordinary ways but rebellious ways have rejected the rule of God. So the first reason that we need to be born again is that we all sin. Secondly, there's a tragic consequence to our sin. Uh, In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, in chapter 4 and verse 18, he says this, speaking of those who sin, he says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. See, the problem is we sin, but our sin separates us from God. Now, I found a helpful plot, uh, a helpful prop here. That's pretty good, isn't it? Um, What we've all done, a, a block at a time, in our sinful rebellion, is we've built a wall between ourselves and God, right? See, God, I don't want you. I'm making this choice, I don't want your morality, I don't want your wisdom, I don't want your leadership. I, again and again and again, decision after decision, we have built a wall that separates us from the life that is in the living God. We all sin, we're all separated, and tragically, Ezekiel 18 says, it's not just that there's a wall. there's actually a consequence. And the consequence, Ezekiel 18:4 says, is death it says, the soul who sins is the one who will die. Why do we need to be born again? We need to be born again because ultimately each one of us will die as rebels against God. We need to be made new and receive a life that will last, a second birth for eternal life. Well, then we get to hell. Have a listen to what it says uh, here in in the Sec- secular dictionary it says this uh, an extremely unpleasant or difficult place situation or experience work is sheer hell at the moment right and that's how we would use it isn't it work but, but it, it says there's a second definition as well listen to this in some religions the place where some people are believed to go uh to go after death to be punished forever for the bad things they have done during their lives now that's heavy right in fact, we would say, isn't this the very definition of taking it too far? Right? I mean, it, it's one thing to say we need to be born again, but why add this in? I mean, hell is just way too much. And guys, hasn't there been a strong response in our media recently to Mr. Falau's post on this? Now, you guys, if you've got our new newsletter, you've heard me say, I don't endorse everything about the way he said it at all. But that it has responded in this way is extraordinary. The world is telling us, that's way too far. And the reason I'm preaching tonight is so that you might hear what the Bible has to say on this topic. Do you know who talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? Do you know? I want to show you that the one who talked about hell more than anybody else is actually Jesus. So let's have a listen to one of the places where Jesus talks about hell. He says, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm that eats them does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, guys, we listen to this and we think, right, hang on. So are you telling me that heaven's going to be full of one-handed, one-footed, partially blinded people? Is that what what Jesus is saying? Is he actually talking? Because I've been to church a lot and I haven't seen too many amputees In the congregation what what does he mean why why does he say it this way i want you to think about what he's saying okay what he is saying is hell is so horrible that whatever you would have to do to get to life the kingdom of god eternity lived with god it would be worth doing even down to the point of amputating or plucking out so terrible that it would be worth everything to get there are you with me And so he speaks of a reality, a spiritual reality, to tell us, do whatever you can not to end up there, but to find yourself in life. Are you with me? That's what Jesus is saying. And you can can be as plucked and blind and and half-armed as you need, and you'll still sin. We don't need amputation. We need exaltation. We don't need to try harder not to sin. We need to lift up the Son of God who's done everything for us. But why do do we need hell? Why hell? Let me suggest to you some reasons why I actually think hell is helpful for us. Does anyone know where this pile of shoes, this photo of this pile of shoes is from? Second World War, yes. Somebody? Concentration camp. This is from Auschwitz. And and this is where the Germans collected the Jews together. And what they would do before they killed them is they would take all the things of value off them, including earrings, uh, jewellery, gold teeth, shoes, hair, everything. And then they killed them, six million of them. Now, when we think about that, I want to ask you, do you guys have a category for evil? Not, not just people who do bad things, but evil. Because my question would be, how do we ever find justice for that kind of evil? See, some of those people, some of those people who did those things probably died in their beds at home in a great old age. Did they get away with it? Do we want to live in a world where they get away with that? Hell says God will bring justice for evil. God will bring justice for evil. We want to know that people won't get away with it. And, and I've been struck recently as I, um, as I look at news clippings and um, read the paper. Have you guys seen, uh, maybe there's been a murder trial, and, um, and somebody has got the verdict at the end. And, and, and there are crazy verdicts at the moment. And look, I don't understand the justice system very well, but they'll say like nine years and four years uh, non parole period for murder. Uh, just these extraordinary sentences coming out. Have you, have you seen some of these? And, and at that point, when they cut to the family, what does the family say? I will never get them back. Where's the justice? And hell says, the God who is there will do justly with evil in the world. The second reason that I think we want hell, um, let me see if I can illustrate this. On our holidays, we went, up to, um, we went down to Canberra and we went to the War Memorial. And my reflection is the War Memorial is kind of Australia's secular temple. Okay, It's a holy place in some real sense. We, we are honouring the dead who died for our nation. And you see their names up on the wall, those who've who've sacrificed. It's a place of honour, right? I I want you to imagine that those walls in uh, the war memorial ended up like this wall for Vietnam vets in America. Can you see the graffiti on it? Now, graffiti is terrible everywhere, right? But it's far more offensive when it dishonours those worthy of honour. Do you see there's an extraordinary quote. I, I, um, I love this book. This book's called Let the Nations Be Glad by a guy called John Piper. This book changed my life. It's fantastic. In this book, um, Piper writes about this idea of, um, of the reason why hell in particular, if I can find the quote, um, why hell in particular is actually uh, an important part of understanding who God is. When those, uh, those who object to the idea of hell... Repeat the centuries old objection that an eternal punishment is disproportionate to a finite life of sinning, they disregard the essential thing that Jonathan Edwards saw so clearly. Degrees of blameworthiness come not from how long you offend dignity, but how high the dignity is that you offend. If we think hell is unfair, it's because we don't esteem the glory of God, the glory of God that we have offended. And I think the third reason that we need the doctrine of hell is the alternative is terrible. The alternative is that those who do wrong and evil ride into the sunset with no consequences. Do I want to live in a universe where there is no ultimate justice? Well, guys, I don't. And hell tells me that you don't either. The God who sees all will judge all just. But look, that, that all gets a bit overwhelming. I want to give you another illustration for why hell and why Jesus speaks the way he does. I want you to imagine that you're a parent. Now, some of you are and some of you aren't, all right? But I want you to imagine that you're a parent and you're cooking breakfast. It's a magnificent breakfast, okay? There it is uh, on the frying pan. And you have some small humans who have got the ability to do this. Are you with me? They're able to reach up. Now, you've just had to walk away from your hot pan Okay, you've had to walk away for a second, and you see your tiny little human, right? Reaching up like this. Now, what happens as that little hand comes up is all of a sudden we go. Oh, um, excuse me, darling, I was wondering if I might be able to intervene. It appears that you're moving towards a slightly difficult situation. Your tiny little appendage is about to touch something that's quite hot. It will actually burn you, probably causing some blisters on your hand. And so I politely ask you to desist from moving towards the hot vessel. (laughs) Is that what we do? What do we do? Stop! Get your hand away from it! Right? And and what what does the child do? (laughs) Right. Okay. But but what, but what? But what? what? Why did they do it? Right. What? Why? Why does a parent call out to a child? What? What? What's their motivation? Why do they call out? Love. love. It's love, isn't it? It's to try and stop them burning themselves. Now, how does the child think? Mummy yelled at me. It's really scary. Why did you do? It? You don't love. But here's the incredible thing. A loving parent will call out a scary warning to stop you being burned. A loving parent will call out a scary warning to stop you being burned. I want you to have a listen to Jesus' words. He says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. And guys isn't that what John 3:16 says that Jesus did? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus died on the cross that we might not go to the hell he told us about. Are you with me? How much did Jesus believe the message to death on the cross? So I want to tell you today, the warning is scary. Hell is scary. I want to tell you that the warning is loving. And I want to tell you that the cross proves both of those things. The cross proves both of those things. That it's truly a terrible place to be avoided at all costs, at the cost of the Son of God. But he loved us so much that he went in our place that we might not go there. Why? So that we might have a new life. Well, what's a new life? New, recently created, or having started to exist. Life, the period between birth and death. What do we want? A new one of those. That's why we called the church. Great, you guys are right with me. That's fantastic. So how would I start one? How would I begin this new life if I wanted to? Remember what we told the kids? This was the memory verse, that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. How will you be saved from eternal damnation? How will it happen? We declare Jesus is Lord, and we believe that God raised him from the dead. Why is that so important? Because Jesus' death pays the price for my sin. Jesus' empty tomb shows me that eternal life, second birth, means that you can live forever. What's the objection to that? Well, The objection to that is this. So what about people who don't mean it, right? Just say, Jesus is Lord. I'm not going to believe my whole life, right? And then just before I die, I'm going to say the magic words, Jesus is Lord. When I get in, isn't that what the Bible just said? Well, I want you to imagine that I have two children, hypothetically. And I want you to imagine that hypothetically, one of my children just hit the other child. Hypothetically, this never happens, right? Right? Ruby, don't, don't, I'm, not, I'm not talking about you, you see. Hypothetical children, right? Uh, and then the one that hit the other one, right? And I say, say sorry to your brother. Sorry. That never happens either, I'm sure, right? Now, as a parent, would I accept that apology? Why not? They don't mean it, right? Because I can tell that their heart isn't in it. And I'll ask them to take a deep breath and to say that they're sorry, to say why they're sorry, and to mean it. And I won't accept it until they've done it properly from the heart, right? As a parent, I will never be tricked by a fake apology from my children. So I want to challenge you guys. Do you think that the God of the universe, who knows us from the inside out, will ever be tricked by people who say some magic words and believe that they'll get into heaven? Will he ever be tricked? The answer is... He will never be tricked. You don't need to worry that appears to be so easy that some people could cheat and get in. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are lowering the pirate flag and we are installing the king of the universe and we're giving his life into our hands, into his hands. We're saying, God, you own me. And God will never be tricked by you faking that. No one will be in heaven who doesn't mean it. Are you with me? So how do we start this new life? It's easy and it's hard. It'll cost you everything. So what, is it? what will truly be new if I say that? What will truly be new? Do you get saved and then God says, well, you better work really hard on not sinning all on your own. He doesn't. Have a listen to what it says in John 14. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. So he wants obedience. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. What Jesus says is, if I save you, I will come and live in you. By the Holy Spirit, I will renovate you from the inside out. If you want to be truly new, invite the Holy Spirit into your hearts. Well, where does that leave us tonight? We've seen... Something about salvation, about hell, and about new life. If you've heard that tonight, then listen to the words right at the end of John chapter 3 in verse 36. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath, note this, remains on them. Tonight, guys, you have the opportunity to know for sure that the wrath of God has been removed eternally from you. So how committed should you be? Well, I was driving into Oran Park the other day. Actually, I was in the passenger seat, helpfully, for this illustration. And I saw this sign out the window. They're building a brand new office uh, tower in Oran Park, right? And they were delighted to advertise that it was 65% committed, Right? How fantastic, right? Over half, it's not even built yet. That's something to advertise on a billboard if you're putting up a building, but it is not something to say to God. God, you should be really proud of me. I am at least 65% committed to you. You would see me three out of five Sundays. That sort of commitment isn't what they're looking for. I was reading the other day a story about a guy called Corporal Daniel Kigran. He was in Afghanistan on the 24th of August, 2010, when his little squad came under attack. And they were pinned down, and one of the guys was desperately wounded. And they were trying to work out how to get the Medivac helicopter down to pull him out, and they couldn't because the fire just had trapped them where they were. And so this man, Corporal Daniel, he, he put his life on the line for his mates. He ran out under sustained Accurate fire, that's what it says in his Victoria Cross recommendation. Under sustained enemy fire and throughout a three-hour battle, he ran and drew all the fire away from where his wounded friend was so that he could be evacuated. How committed do you think the other guys in his squad are to this bloke? They're totally committed, aren't they? He put his life on the line for them. How committed? 100% because he offered his life in place of them. Extraordinary courage, right? So tonight, I guess I want to ask you, how much of you does Jesus deserve? How much of you does Jesus deserve? I want to suggest that it's something more than moderation. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I'm sure tonight that there will be people who know the weight of their sin and don't yet know the joy of forgiveness that you have held out for us tonight. Father, I ask that this week, tonight, that they might call on you, that they might know your forgiveness and that they might invite you into their hearts. Father, I know today that there are lots of people here who will have invited you in many years ago, maybe decades ago, Father, for them, I pray that they might know the joy of full commitment to you. I pray that they might have confidence to have beautiful feet in taking the message of new life into the world around us. Father, open our eyes, make us bold with the truth, and help us to lead others to find new life in you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well there's a sermon. Uh, I would be very pleased to answer any questions that you might have uh, coming from the message tonight. Um, You can ask me about the message, you can ask me about all sorts of other things if you want, Uh, why Australia's top uh, order failed so badly the other night, or or all other things, but I'd be very interested in any questions related to uh, what we talked about tonight. Someone got a question to get us started? Joy. Stu, you were talking about um, the reasons for hell. Um, being to, for justice, for yes. the really evil people who like in the world war and like to face the war. Yes. What about the people who just go along living their lives with no reference to God but aren't super evil in the eyes of the world? Yeah. Um, but are not professing Jesus as Lord and so therefore not going to heaven because that's yeah. the only way to go to heaven. So I, th- I think this is the hardest bit, right? What about ordinary evil? if I can invent that category, right? Extraordinary evil makes sense. And I use that to kind of go for the big picture of justice. God will do justly, right? Here's the thing. Ordinary evil is still what? Still evil. We can do all sorts of polite things behind the facade that are deeply offensive to God. And just because we get on well and we have a good laugh at work, say, and I think you're a pretty decent man, woman, whatever, um, you're pretty decent, you're a pretty nice guy, doesn't hide the fact that as a creature, you rebel against God. There's a great story that Don Carson told, and he said, um, he, said he was teaching a primary school class, right? Uh, and he had to do scripture. And, uh, and so what he did was he said, what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to give you all a lump of clay, right? And I want you to make a creature, so he said, you wouldn't believe the things that the boys made, right? Three heads, spiky, multiple tails. The girls made little people, right? But the, the guys just made these appalling animals. I said, he said, great, very good. Well done, everybody. Keep them on the side. I'll be back next week. Comes back the next week. And he says, all right, everyone, what I want you to do is um, I want you to create with me um, a world for our creatures to live in, Right? And so they, 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 um, they create a space in the classroom, okay? And they start putting little trees in, and they make hills, and, and they, make, uh, they make rivers, right? And then they put all of the little creatures, right, into, into their world. Everyone goes, this is fantastic. I'm loving Scripture, right? Scripture's awesome this week. I'm really enjoying it. He says, cool. We'll keep that. I'll see you next week. So he comes back to the next week, and he says, all right, what I want you to do, everybody, is I want you to write some rules, okay, some rules for the animals in your world, the creatures in your world. And they go, okay, no breaking somebody else's monster, right? Fair, fair enough. Um, they're made of clay, no going in the, in the lake because you'll dissolve, right? Okay, that's not a really good idea, okay? So uh, don't, don't break someone else's monster, uh, don't go in the lake because you'll dissolve. And they, they started making all these rules, right, for their little creatures. He said, fantastic, great work everybody, I'll see you next week. Comes back next week. All the monsters are broken, and, uh, and uh, th- there's a few monsters still standing, and he says, uh, look, I'm terribly sorry, everybody. Um, I've got a letter here from the monsters, and they say that, uh, that you've, uh, you've done a bad job of making them, and that they're telling you to get lost. What should we do with the rest of the monsters? And the kids say, smash them. Now that instinct, that instinct is right. As the creator of the creature, you have absolute say on what happens to the creature. The creatures don't get to say to you, you made me wrong. The creatures don't get to say, we don't like your rules. You're the creature and you don't get to speak to the creator in that way. And so I would humbly submit, Joy, that... Our very ordinary evil is actually rejecting the creator of the universe who made us and that it's profoundly offending him when we say, we don't want you. We think it's ordinary. We're so surrounded by this rebellion that we think it's ordinary and natural that humans should shake off their creator and dishonor him and reject the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and make mockery of those who follow him. We think that's so ordinary and that there should be no consequences for that. But the failure with that is with us, not with God. And so I'd simply say that our ordinary evil is far more evil than we allow. Does that make sense? Someone else? Another question. Sorry, Joy, I went kind of all in on your answer. but Yeah, somebody else. Another question. Oh, did I over-putt the answer on that one, so you're now afraid of answering. I'm sure that there are other questions. We're talking about hell, we're talking about Israel for and uh, Yeah, we're all good. You're all totally comfortable. Ah, oh, there's a question here, Peter. I put it to you that we're all born with the pirate flag wrapped around our hearts, and nobody can see it, and we can hide behind it. It's really helpful. But until Jesus washes it away. It's great, Peter. We're, we're, all, we're all born with a pirate flag wrapped around our hearts. It's absolutely right. And, and my encouragement to those of you who think, oh, look, this whole sin thing's over the top. I just say to you, that's fine. I want you to go for the next week without sinning. Come and report back next week and tell me how you went. It's not an act of will. There is something profoundly broken in us that is only fixed by Jesus. And you can't wash it away with all the Netflix that you watch and however much your credit card debt is. You can't remove the guilty conscience that comes from it. It's only found in Jesus. And that's our great hope. Uh, uh, There's no more question. I want to just finish on this. Have you heard the turn of phrase, scare the hell out of you? Look at me, church. Have you heard that turn of phrase before? What if Jesus wants to scare the hell out of us? so that we don't go there, yeah? If it's true, it's so terrible, I want to urge you not to go. And Jesus died that you don't have to. I'll finish on that note. Come and see me if you've got a secret question afterwards at, uh, at supper.